Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. It's my great pleasure to have as a conversation partner today, Onesphorus Burrell. Onesphorus is a veteran of the Michigan Department of Corrections. He's also been like almost a, a lifelong high school basketball officiant, and I don't know which of those sounds like a harder thing to do, but Onesphorus, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you being with us. It is my pleasure as well to be here. Onesphorus, tell me a little bit about your journey into corrections. How did you feel prompted or called to that work? Opportunity to work in a substance abuse agency opened up the door for my meeting and greeting in the job capacity of becoming a chaplain in the Michigan Department of Corrections. So there was a story that was behind uh, not only the divine intervention God already had called me to, unbeknownst to me, I wouldn't have chosen that as my career. Uh, <laughs> a prison chaplain, I didn't even know what they'd done. There wasn't anything connected to me to make me aspire for that. But God had already planned it for me uh, at the age of 20 when I did an internship at the graduation of my Muskegon Community College Associate's degree and went in for that six weeks and uh, was introduced to a prison population that I vowed to myself after that internship that I would never work in a prison because these guys are crazy. <laughs> how long was your internship? Like, how long did it take you to figure out that those guys were crazy and that was not a crazy you wanted to be a part of? It was a six week internship. Oh my goodness. Yes. And it didn't so, it did, so you're saying it didn't take life. you long? No. No, I didn't want anything to do with them because I understood some of their language and I didn't want to be a part of that. So what changed? Uh, well, it took me 16 years at the age of 36 years old for me to actually become employee of the uh, state uh, under those terms. However, uh, I was hired four years before that in the capacity of a, a substance abuse counselor, certified addictions counselor, went through the training and certifications for West Michigan Therapy Incorporated uh, here in Muskegon. And uh, the contracts that they had uh, with the Department of Corrections and the courts uh, allowed me some experience and uh, some opportunities to go in and find, um, you know, refuge and ministry. Of course, you're already uh, a, a part of the church, uh, the body of Christ. So those things are spiritual that you bring and provide. And it appeared that every time I would go into the facilities, the prison, uh, to recruit and to sign up people, my waiting list was always twice as long as those that we could actually uh, put into the classes. And so the Department of Corrections uh, Parole Board, who um, worked in another area, I had to go to several different spots. They asked me, uh, had I ever considered being a prison chaplain? And uh, of course, my response was no. I've, I don't want to do that. And I was already going in contracted by West Michigan Therapy for the substance abuse field opportunities. So therefore, then I couldn't say I didn't want to go into prison anymore, but I didn't necessarily know anything about a chaplain. And so they told me, well, if you just give us your resume, we would like to have you take a look at this particular position that we have called the chaplain, institutional chaplain. And so then they recruited me and uh, hired me a year after that. Um, and this, the story 24 years later, I retired from there. 
So what what was it, what's it like for people who don't have any any experience or, or backstory with corrections? What does a day in the life of a prison chaplain look like? Well, you have a lot of prison ministry uh, areas that uh, you cover. Uh, as a chaplain, you are the conscience of the facility. So they give you uh, a certain amount of training uh, to recognize that uh, you, you are responsible for all of the faiths, all religious faiths within the facility. So uh, that day might look like um, a counseling day. That day might look like a day of programming all day. That day, uh, whether you're dealing with uh, orientations for volunteers, you're setting up operations for the facility to have a particular service. We had as many as 25 uh, different religious groups to service. So each of them were allowed an hour. Uh, you had to have time for their setup and for you to get the leaders together uh, on a, a monthly basis. You had to set up all of the stuff for the volunteers to come in and to go out from every religious group, dealing with all their materials. So there are specifics to every faith, Native American faith, where they call themselves the traditions. Uh, you have the Muslims, which there are several different uh, types of things and materials that have to go with each Muslim group, uh, Muslim groups. Uh, then you're dealing with also our Catholic and our Christians and our Protestants and our Jehovah's Witnesses and all of the other groups. So there are a variety of um, people in, in those groups that you have to learn to work with. Of course, all these are uh, primarily the prisoners and you have to work with the leaders to get that set up. So that day and that week and that month uh, continue to be uh, pretty much a recycling, but it can change and uh, different leaders change. The guys, uh, they don't stay there permanently. They get transferred to different facilities incidents occur, things happen, you know, just uh, some parolee uh, situation might come up, uh, whether you know it or not, uh, that chaplain also has uh, some bidding in uh, recommendational wise, being able to work with the prisoners for them to uh, set up a pre-release, uh, what we would call in some areas, you know, them getting out and dealing with things that for their public uh, set up with the volunteers or with churches or with um, ministries or organizations and such. So there's a lot that's entailed uh, where the chaplain can assist lots of areas there. So there, it's, it's huge. It's harder for me to just describe to you and saying, but it was more than a 40 hour a week kind of a thing. And also 1,200 prisoners per facility primarily, and that meant 1,200 uh, of them uh, at any point in time, I might have uh, crossed paths with 20, 25,000 prisoners. So Having wow. that kind of an introduction to a population uh, and all of them receiving you, you know, as the only chaplain, there's only one chaplain per facility. Uh, so he has the responsibilities to be across the board, uh, all face chaplain. That sounds like a lot. Tell me what, what were some of the highlights? What was a great day at a facility like for you? Were there any moments that rise above the others? Yeah, there were always uh, really good days when I would have interaction with the staff. You know, the prisoners meant a lot to me, but I understood the primary areas of safety and security for me had to come, you know, I dealt with staff. And so my uh, interaction with staff probably, because I was also given and granted the opportunity to counsel and to work spiritually with other staff, uh, collaborating with my peers or, you know, whomever else uh, needed me there. And I was part of a, a TISM team that was a traumatic uh, stress incidents management team that uh, also whenever we had a situation occur, a prisoner died or 
you know, something happened that was very uh, difficult, you know, assault on staff. Uh, we had a, a, a team, so I was part of that team as well. And uh, I had a great day whenever I was able to help uh, a lot of the staff. It trickles down. So you have to know that the first primarily area is safety and security. You have to come to work and make sure you go home. The mm -hmm. second part was, as best for me, is to get to know staff because I had to work with them, uh, you know, in different ways, collaborating, trying to help the prisoners. They end up enjoying everything at the end of the day. It was all for the prisoners. But um, probably secondly in there, my best day would be a day of ministry. So I enjoyed working with the staff. That was the number one thing I probably had as the most enjoyable day. And then secondly would be the primary part of, of ministry and setting up with volunteers, making sure that those uh, programs ran. That was a great day for me to make sure that I did my job and uh, that I was able to uh, bridge the gap whenever there was a need for the prisoners uh, to end up getting what they needed, materials, uh, resources, volunteers coming in, special programs that had to run different holidays for different religious groups, whatever else was necessary for me to do. That was probably my greatest day. The prisoner, even though it appears he might be last on my list, he was actually the one that benefited the most. Hmm. What, what kind of, so it sounds like you, you, you shuffled around, you saw a lot of different people. Are there any one or two or three inmates that come to mind where you say, you know what, God really opened doors for me to have an influential shaping in the arc of this person's spiritual journey? Uh, sure. There are a lot of them that uh, were witnesses. Um, in fact, during my time as working in the chaplaincy, I was a church administrator prior to that, working as assistant to my father, uh, who was um, also a PK, uh, you know, pre preacher's child, and this yeah. is myself, a PK. And so uh, that part of it, uh, I was very familiar with uh, setting up programs and having a board and having um, uh, opportunity to bring new, uh, um, new, new things to the men so that they, a lot of them had never experienced some of the things that were common to me. So yeah, there were a number of them. I had an elders board uh, for the Christian group, which if you were a chaplain, you were given the opportunity to serve in the capacity of whichever religious group was your primary religious group personally. Right. So okay. mine was Christian. So of course, uh, I utilized the uh, elders board uh, and changed the lives of many of the men uh, as they would come and go. As I said, they transfer quite frequently throughout the year. So you don't know if you're going to get a keep a guy six months, two years, you know, 10 years. You right. don't know how long he's going to be there. However, uh, even in that same context, I guess it was uh, necessary for me to let God choose them for me uh, mm. through the ministry so that they would actually be an asset to the community. So I was able to open up a lot of doors for them. Uh, even in my own personal doctrine, uh, baptizing was significant to uh, the growth and development of those men. So those elders were engaging in the uh, opportunity to build their faith, build up on their most holy faith. So um, I wouldn't name names so much as I would say sure. Uh, that as, you know, that evolved in my own personal way, uh, they were able to um, witness baptism. They were able to witness some of the areas of communion. They were able to witness some of the areas of working through fasting. Uh, even now, uh, we began our resurrection or Passover fast uh, in honor of our Lord and Savior Jesus for 40 days. 
uh, with a mild fast that works through Daniel and uh, what he did there and, you know, opportunities for him uh, to uh, consecrate himself, devote himself, uh, keep from being defiled and then work through Esther also. So the cultures and all of that baptizing probably as many as, and I can say this without uh, too much conviction, a thousand prisoners baptized wow. under my tenure, uh, you know, and many uh, more than that uh, uh, professing their faith in Christ. It was wonderful. And uh, yeah, the lives changed, but uh, the, le the life lessons changed more, Steve, uh, in knowing that those men found a way to escape. Uh, they found mm -hmm. options that they didn't have in their mindset before. They heard cliches that maybe never, they weren't street cliches, they were scriptures, but to them, uh, they made sense. And, uh, you know, like the definition of insanity. Right. You keep doing the same stuff, you're gonna keep getting the same stuff. Well, it's just you reap what you sow, right? Right. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're gonna keep getting what you've been getting. So they heard that and they understood that language and their lives were changed. So it was uh, on a weekly basis, opportunities came. Uh, God had to keep me safe. Um, I had to stay within the boundaries that they established for me. But yes, uh, being able to change many, many lives and see them. To this day, my testimony is that those men that I do know, that I do still keep in touch with, that are still part of my life, zero of them have gone back to prison. Recidivism for me is zero. None of them wow. have gone back to prison that uh, I do know that I keep in touch with that still concentrate on these type of things that uh, we built. And 95% uh, of the men that are inside the walls of our facilities, 95% have an opportunity at some point to return to society. That's great. So talk to me a little bit about baptism. Like what, how does baptism work in a correctional facility? <laughs> it's gotta be, it gotta be a unique experience. <laughs> well, it is, of course, you know, and then obviously we don't have to go into specifics of doctrine, but to have a pool to do it in, the portable pools that are available to us, there are some agencies that actually donate them okay. uh, to the facilities for you okay. to have access, yes. And then uh, of course you work with staff, so you need to build alliances with, like I said, my coworkers. <laughs> sure. And it was very important that I had that, but uh, the officers were more than willing, the uh, correctional staff, more than willing to assist me when it came down to a setup and uh, the prisoners obviously getting out early. So you have to have, you know, they have their movement systems that are all secure wise. So sure. you have to have that kind of relationship with people. And we get the pool set up and we would have uh, every quarter or, you know, every couple of months, um, depending on the, the demand uh, for the men, uh, a um, baptismal service that they would come out for. And I might baptize 20 or 25 guys in that service, but I'd done all the baptizing because I, I couldn't release that particular uh, kind right. of a, a mission to a, to a prisoner to baptize sure. another prisoner. But right, yes, right. it worked very well and it was a little complicated, but we got it done on every level. Now, was that a, was that a public service? Like could, could visitors come and participate or was that was just, just for the inmates? Um, we did have uh, some uh, service opportunities for uh, people outside. So I would not isolate it just to the Christian group. There were other groups that baptized. Okay. So my Latter-day Saints had baptism. And okay. uh, during their baptismal time and opportunity, the volunteers would actually come. We would set it up and they would baptize the men. 
under my supervision. Okay. Uh, same thing with my Jehovah Witnesses and those other people who baptized uh, in their own way. They had their own setup, but you didn't deny them. In other sure. words, yes, they were volunteers attached to it, but still in the same frame, I could not allow another a prisoner to baptize another prisoner. It was right. too much of a liability for sure. the ward of the state. You know, they're dependent ward yeah. of the state and something happened, then I would be responsible. Sure, sure. Well, talk a little bit about how, like, in your ministry role, which is unlike most past, like almost every other pastor who oversees a local church, uh, you know, outside of a correctional facility, you were put in a very unique spot where you were resourcing and equipping and empowering people who had faith traditions or doctrinal conclusions that were different than yours. How did that work? How were you able to, you know, maintain true to your own convictions and at the same time, honor, respect, and celebrate people who thought and believed differently? Okay. So the, the big picture always is that I am a state employee. Okay. It's not personal for me. So I had to recognize the all faiths part of it is why they hired me. They okay. put me in a position to make a difference and uh, live that difference or to at least encourage uh, every guy that was there. And of course it was a male facilities, you know, so I was actually at four different male facilities, um, uh, closed one, opened up a brand new one, moved from Ionia area when those two came to Muskegon, closed one and opened and, and, and basically transferred to another one. So I ended up at four different facilities and different levels of facilities makes a difference also in how many groups you have to service. But right. it was not as hard for me when uh, I could speak the language of a father. Mm. So Good. when you have that opportunity, it becomes less of them being Muslim mm. and more of you being a God man. Are mm. you truly a God man? Are you truly going to do your job in the capacity in which you are called? There were opportunities there for me to minister to those people because in many instances, of course, not just to say a prison community is different than our society. They, the guys came from our society. Right. They're failures of our society. So they do know all of the past of their being out in the world. So it wasn't that hard for me to just reintroduce them to that and knowing that this is a civil area. You're not in a gang. You're not in an area where you can just monopolize. You know, I know you're doing life if you're doing life, but you still have to have a pattern that says we respect everyone. So I that began with me. It's great. Respecting the Native American traditions. That began with me respecting every other religious group, even the Wiccans. They, they want to be called witches, and that's okay. And the part of it is, is what that was their religious belief system, Asatru, you know, and, and these groups that own this, you know, so there were lots of names attached to it, my Jewish community, my uh, uh, Buddhist community, my Hindu community, my community for the Catholics. So I didn't have to be of their faith to respect them and honor them. And I got that in return, speak the language of those people. You don't yeah. know whose hope you're going to build by just respecting them. Yeah. So my job was to respect them. So I was able to honor that even when you speak concerning marriage or death, because the bereavement part, you know, there's a huge amount of eternity in those things. And so I was able to bridge the gap to show, you know, them in their own religious groups, you know, how marriage is honorable, you know, and there are things there that God wants you to do, you know, and this is where he wants you, but you don't have to go by me. And it's the same thing in death. When there were deaths, I was able to minister to them in counsel. And to give them what their own religious beliefs, because I had to study 
their religious beliefs in order for me to know more about their religion than they did. Yeah, yeah. I had to know more about some of their religions than they did so that they couldn't trick me and they couldn't pull the wool over my eyes. Right, right, right. No, that's so good. Let, Let me ask you this question. How... Out of those inmates who celebrated different faiths, were a lot of those people who rediscovered a faith that they had as a child and they came back to it? Or were some of those inmates converting to a religion or a new religion as a result of the time that they were serving? Both things are true, probably equally uh, in some instances. So let's be candid about it. We have communities in our society that are segregated in a a huge way uh, out here where we are. And so the prison is no different. And so in some instances, we're looking for comfort. We're looking for someone that we can belong, right? We want to belong. We want to feel uh, uh, that that person values us. We can make a contribution. The prison is the same way. So uh, sometimes I think it is a reintroduction to Christianity, but then it also is a new thing that they never really embraced Christianity when they were out here. So they knew about it, but they never embraced it. But they found other areas that were secure to the extent of what they actually required. Yeah. So if they only required so much as a community, as belonging, as making a contribution, that requirement might not grow when they went to prison. It just might become something different. And so I didn't make that a big deal because uh, my value system is that I'm just a man. God is God. And Jesus is to me, they all knew my Savior. There wasn't any groups or anyone there that didn't know that I was true to Christianity, that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. So yeah. they respected me in that way. And sure. so whether they found another religion or not, uh, when they would come to me, maybe they were broken. Like I said, maybe there was a death in their family. Maybe something in a crisis way happened. Maybe they wanted to get married and they were looking for you know, some way to uh, find all of the information. They would come to me and knowing that they, they were going to get a Christian perspective because that's where I live. That's right. why. Yeah. Right, right. Over the course of your time, how did your decades of service in these facilities, how did that expand your view of God? Like, how did it change the way that you you saw God, you understood God, you experienced God? Me being 36 when I got hired there, um, I had some own personal testimonies coming in. Uh, one of the things that I saw in the recruitment process uh, when they asked me for that was, my father had passed away a year prior exactly to the day mm. of me getting hired. So that to mm. me was God. Sure. There was a certain amount of divine. There was no coincidence uh, one year to the day that I was hired. So there were little stepping stones constantly going on in the process. Um, when I was able to transfer from the Ionia area to Muskegon, had become engaged and I drove an hour and 10 minutes to work every day that I had to go four days a week, 10 hours a day. Okay. And I began to process that in my spirit so that I was not complaining. Uh, but when it came time, I had told the Lord, if you're going to transfer me, move me anywhere, let it be good. Like it is here because uh, I've made this transition. And I told the Lord, I said, I need a double confirmation. Well, of mm-hmm. course he gave me one exactly to the seven years and seven days I was re- I was hired at a facility in Muskegon. Seven years and seven days, a double confirmation of where God wanted me to be complete, to be perfect, and to do the transition. 
So I was preparing myself in, in the same way, not knowing that this is what God is doing to me for my testimony. This is how it's changed my life. So I began to uh, speak to that kind of thing in my own world to the prisoners. This is who I am. This is what's happening with me. This is my life. These are my life experiences. You can't be too personal with them. You can't tell them your address or your phone number or any, but you can sure. give them personal experiences that God has been transforming and changing in your life. So pastoral wise, the application of all of the things I had learned and having a bachelor's degree in theology and moving forward with all of my certifications that I was able to do, uh, part of uh, a West Michigan men's outreach uh, a board here in Muskegon, uh, being a part of the board for humanity for prisoners, doing some things uh, along with my own personal LLC and, you know, DBAs. And, you know, so as my life transformed and I've done more things, I was able to deliver those things in a mission to the men to tell them and show them you can do these things. I, I'm come out of family of 12 and I'm in the middle. I'm number eight. Right. So that began to identify as number eight, you know, knowing that, that I'm the eighth child, that that's new beginnings. That's so all of the things, all of the, uh, no coincidences. I'm not that I'm number eight is a coincidence. Not that I'm in the middle of a family of 16 and I'm the eighth child and there's eight all over me, right? Triple eights that this, I can't, my oldest brother was eight years older than me. My youngest brother was eight years younger than me. Wow. Huh? Really? Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm telling you the truth about there. all these things. Yeah. My life sure. was being transformed right before my eyes with all of these things that you're asking me. How did it change me? It made me the man that I am today that I don't think I ever will retire. I don't think there's no such thing except moving from another season to where God wants me. So where I am right now with all these things, uh, I still can make a contribution. I can still be valuable. I can still have purpose of heart. Uh, there are many, many, many people that I'm going to meet, uh, building alliances, doing the same thing. I work with my convention, uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, and uh, the Convention Evangelism Outreach Services, and utilizing my, my experiences as a prison chaplain, just like we're talking now, and being able to go into prisons and jails in every state of the union. Everywhere we go, I set those things up. Right now, we're getting prepared to go in July to St. Louis, Missouri, and we're already setting up the missions and the uh, jail uh, visits in St. Louis, Missouri. That's incredible. So even though you're even though you're out of that world uh, vocationally, you're still involved in that world missionally. Correct. You're still volunteering there. That's that's amazing. Correct. Well, thank you so much uh, for your work. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question. How did you know, like God has been really faithful to lead you in every transition of your life. How, how did you know that your time as an employee of the state was was drawn to a close? Like how, how did God how did God prompt and lead in that transition? That was a very, very hard one for me, because anything that you um, adapt to, you become uh, engaged in, uh, your heart is attached to it. Sure. And there are many, many factors uh, that you have, um, you know, your retirement, you're kind of, you know, worried about your pension, worried about your 401k, worried about your employment, you know, where are you going to go? What are you going to do after this? What are you good at? Where's your career? So yeah, that's a very difficult place to be. I had to pray about it. I had to let God actually intervene for me. Um, some situations came up and some things uh, that were happening uh, when they closed the one facility and I had to go in to bump one of the chaplains out of the other facility that I ended up at. And it was a lot more work. There was a lot more stress attached to it. 
you and I both know, even when you don't have control over situations, you know, that you still are, are praying, God, Lord, what am I do? I'm going to stay here unless you move me. So right. I didn't have control over it. COVID came in. And mm. when COVID came in, it made it very hard because no longer could we have volunteers come into facilities. No sure. longer could we have materials come into facilities. No longer could we, you know, um, have prisoner movement under normal circumstances. And so that whole year was just so difficult and so complicated. Then that began to be kind of like the eagle's nest where the, the Lord said, okay, I, I'm closing this door. It's time gotcha. for you to make a decision. And uh, some things occurred in there that were where I just consulting with the warden and the uh, staff there uh, saying, yep, it's time for me to retire. Okay. All right. One last question before I let you go. One of my colleagues, Peter Newhouse, he, he knows you through basketball officiating circles. So both he and you do that. What, what's, what's more intimidating, uh, being in a facility with a bunch of inmates or being in a basketball game where the, with the, with the score is tight and parents are losing their minds. Wow. I almost can't even answer that correctly. Uh, I probably had more control and safety in the facility than I did when I was out in the, in the gyms, but in actuality, probably the facilities and the safety and security there obviously could be much more traumatic than anything that can happen to me, I feel, on a regular basis during my games. Remember that I have 43 years of officiating with the Michigan High School Athletic Association. My primary for that and the experience and training and, you know, all the things that have occurred is to remain professional at all times. I think it has helped me uh, doing that to tolerate noise, conflict, hostility, bridging the gap, bringing fair play, knowing how to talk to the, the children because they're children. So, right. and Peter and I have developed a relationship that was fantastic based on uh, the youth that we do work with in those uh, games and at those uh, events. Yeah, we have a great time. And I think probably the easier the two is, is, is refereeing. And, and how, and again, like my, my, my son is younger in the basketball world, but, you, but as a parent, man, I can appreciate officials who are not just committed to the integrity of the game and not just committed to the safety of the athlete, but committed to their development. Because, you know, when you officiate in a league, you see some of the same athletes and some of the same teams and some of the same coaches over time. And how, how have you come to see officiating as, as ministry? Okay, so then obviously, you know, the professionalism part comes into play and depending on how privileged or how entitled a person feels with the stripes on, that, that's, that's important. If okay. they got the stripes on and it brings them to some place where they're, you know, abusive in that authority, then that's not good. But okay. for me, it becomes a teaching moment. And I'm able to do that from the levels of uh, the children who are six, seven, eight years old, all the way, you know, to even saying uh, I've done Oh, at least 30 of the uh, finals uh, for the Michigan High School Excellence Association. So 30 finals in 43 years of being able to say a semifinal or a final. Uh, this is the professional part of it. Yes, the growth and development of those students is very important to me. I talk to them the entire game in the contest. Yes, that's important to me. And that's why I stay. And that's why I'm still there. That's amazing. Well, Pastor, thank you so much for giving uh, of your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for your service, uh, both to the inmates and to the state of Michigan and to the athletes that you serve. It's just, it's been a joy to hear about God's faithfulness, both to you and through you. So thank you. God bless you, my friend. And uh, keep the hope alive that you said. I, I believe hope through 
uh, hearts and stuff is, is, a, is a great acronym or, you know, a title for this program because some um, encouraging word just to be respectful to someone could save a life. And you just don't know what someone's going through. Sometimes people will open up to you because of that and the title that you have. I'll say this before I go. Uh, yesterday, a, a gentleman who's selling blueberry bushes uh, met me at a Burger King in Grand Haven, bought some bushes from him, and the conversation went to all of what we're talking about now. And he mm -hmm. revealed to me he had been to prison twice and that his mother was murdered and some things. So that personal part of everything that you do in your life can actually affect people you don't even know. And you don't know who God's going to call you and purpose that good word for. So keep that hope through hard stuff going. And I appreciate you having me on your program. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.